Alexander. Shabbat for three. Bingo! Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. He is hard to believe. Here's Jordan. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Dime Dropper 2021-22 postgame recap. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast, Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and of course, to follow us on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod. Tonight's episode, we're only going to talk about one game, but there's going to be a lot of trades that I discuss today. Huge day today in the NBA. The trade deadline ended, or trade deadline uh, occurred today. It closed. The window is over, and the trades were made. Only additions that we made now will be from the buyout market. Major moves made today, starting with plumber Jim Harden being traded from the Nets to the Sixers. It feels like just yesterday... We were talking about James Harden forcing his way out of Houston, not being happy with the fact that Mike D'Antoni was uh, was fired. He wanted Ty Lue to be hired. They got Steven Silas, a rookie head coach. I'm not sure who asked out first. I think Westbrook asked out first. Westbrook wanted to leave. Harden was over it. He realized, look, I want to be the second best player on my team. He He wants to get traded specifically to Brooklyn. He was unprofessional, not showing up to practices in the beginning of the season while the Rockets still wanted him. John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins expressed their frustration with the fact that he was disrespecting them as professionals. And he gets traded to Brooklyn, a team that, quite frankly, had no assets to give the Rockets. They probably could have had Jared Allen. They didn't want that. I think they got some picks out of it. But that being said, the the Rockets are going to be in the gutter for a while because they gave away They gave away their franchise player for virtually nothing just to appease him. And now he asks, and he leaves a year later. It's so funny because I said I wanted this team to crash and burn. And last year, the whole thing was that they did not play with each other enough. And they went into the playoffs and almost still pulled it off. But they just didn't stay healthy. So this season was the year to be healthy. And then you got the whole Kyrie vaccination situation. It's unbelievable how much of a train wreck, uh, how much of a train wreck it was. This Brooklyn Nets big three, the most failed super team in league history. You know, much worse than the 2013 Lakers and the 04 Lakers. This supersedes anything. 16 games played in a season for these three guys together on the court. Unbelievable. And, you know, the Nets were doing great earlier in the season. And, look, the problems, I think, started, and I read multiple reports today. I'm not subscribed to The Athletic or anything. So, if, by the way, if you guys think that I should, it's, is it worth it? You know, do you recommend it? Are you guys subscribed? Some of these high-end, you know, um, sports websites or whatever, you have to have a subscription these days. So, I'm only getting the Twitter feeds and all that. So, Harden, you know, he didn't want to re-sign. He didn't want to re-sign, or he didn't want to sign an extension, the three-year extension with the Nets. He wanted to wait till after next season or after this season, where he can opt out and negotiate a new contract for bigger money. Uh, this today announced that he's going to opt in to the contract for next season, I believe. 
And that's going to make put pressure on the organization when he's a free agent in 2023 because he's declining. Are you going to give him max money? You know what I'm saying? He's gonna is he gonna get max money till he's 38 years old? So I think in that sense, it's also a big win for the Nets to get his contract off the books because you're definitely gonna be down to pay Ben Simmons because he's a young player. Regardless, James Harden not signing showed to me that or and showed I think to his teammates that he wasn't all in. But at the same time, you could always say that he's going for that max money later. The part where it really got weird was where the Nets have been winning this season, and then they were winning. Kevin Durant goes down. I know Harden and Kevin, especially Harden, it's clear now, had problems with Kyrie's vaccination status. And because he couldn't play, you know, in the games, and I think maybe Harden was mad that the franchise didn't let him play. Uh, you know, there were probably disagreements behind the scenes that they didn't let Kyrie be, be a part-time player earlier in the season. I mean, if they were going to just cave and let him play, they might as well have done it earlier in the season so they could build some chemistry uh, on the road games. That being said, he was a part-time player and Harden's not. And, you know, Harden's been in the league a little longer than Kyrie Irving. He's been in the league since 2009. That being, alongside that, Kevin Durant goes down, Kyrie Irving's playing part-time, and now James Harden feels like he's in Houston again in 2019 when Chris Paul was hurt. And he's not in the place to carry a type of team like that. And you could see his body language. You could see the lack of effort on defense these last couple of games. He's been getting sat out recently. You can clearly tell shit had hit the fan. And the fact that he's been asking out already, he's not even willing to give the big three. You know, the mandate could get lifted. If the mandate's lifted, that means Kyrie Irving's going to be clear. And then that big three would have gotten to play in the playoffs. So for Harden to walk out on his best chance to win a ring, his, you know, his opportunity to be a champion, I'm not saying that he, can't, he doesn't have an opportunity to be a champion now. I'm going to get into that side of things. But it's unbelievable the way he quit on two franchises like that and forced his way out. It's such diva stuff. You know, he clearly didn't like having to defer in the offense and be potentially a third option in terms of scoring the ball when, you know, it's just it's just with three guys that are all alpha males like that and like to score the ball and like to have the ball. You know, it's not like the Warriors. It's not a seamless fit. We never thought it was seamless. And even though they were 13-3 and three together, that well, a lot of those were regular season games. Yes, they played the five games against the Celtics in the playoffs, and they looked good. But that Celtics team had no chance. It was a championship robustment thing for the Brooklyn Nets, and they busted big time. And James Harden, this to me is definitely a black mark on his resume. The fact that he didn't get this to work out. He forced his way there, and now he's the first one to skedaddle disgraceful like it's insane to me you knew what you signed up for yeah you didn't know that Kyrie Irving was going to miss games with this vaccine thing but look you know you knew who Kyrie Irving was and I guess yeah you're not down to you know you don't want to risk your chance of a championship I get it maybe maybe that's really what tipped him over the edge we probably won't know till years down the line but it's still weak sauce you walked out on Kevin Durant you know point blank and Let's talk about the Sixers side of things, right? Ben Simmons hasn't been playing. So the fact that they just gave up Seth Curry and and Ben Simmons, and I believe that they also gave up two first-round picks. So Andre Drummond, yeah, so it's Ben Simmons, Seth Curry, Andre Drummond, and two first-round picks going to Brooklyn for James Harden and Paul Millsap. So, 
the Nets are going to receive Philadelphia's unprotected first-round pick from this year, which will likely be 20-30 to because the Sixers are going to finish in the, with a top-10 record in the league. But they have the right to defer it to next year, which they probably will. And then, of course, a top-eight protected 2027 pick. So we're not going to talk about that. The point is, I think both teams made out really well with this, honestly. I think it's a very win-win trade. You know, I think that the Nets, to have Ben Simmons now, it's going to be awesome. Not only is he going to be motivated... Not only is he going to be motivated, but he is not a guy that no anybody has to worry about shooting at all. It's the opposite with him. And defense. You are going to get exactly what you didn't get with Harden. You're going to get, except you're going to get playmaking. You're going to get playmaking, but you're also going to get length, size, defense, and a guy that's going to be okay shooting five shots in a playoff game. And I think that's going to be huge for this Nets team. So I think it made out great. But now the ball is in, and to get Seth Curry with that and Andre Drummond as a backup big man is fantastic. The thing is now, it's all about Kyrie Irving. You have a chance right now to win a championship for the Brooklyn Nets the first time ever in their history. You cannot screw this up, man. I understand you don't need, you shouldn't be made to take a vaccine. You're not at risk, whatever. But again, it goes back to what I said a couple episodes ago. It's a, it's, you're being selfish, man. You're probably not going to have anything happen if you take that vaccine, but you're going to make a fan base and your teammates happy, and you're going to make life easier for your coaches. Like, it's it's all in that. It's all, The ball's in Kyrie Irving's court, but I'm excited to see Ben Simmons back on the court. Also, Ben Simmons, I'm not going to excuse him for the immaturity and the way he acted in Philadelphia. I understand Glenn Rivers and Joel Embiid weren't professional, um, but I just still think it was weak to just, to just do that. Um, but at the same time, it's like, he doesn't want to play with them. I just think how he did it was unprofessional. He showed up to practice and all that and just didn't report to the team. Whatever. You know what I'm saying? He signed a contract. He was under contract. It should be his job to try to do the best he can. But the thing is, if he does the best he can for the Sixers, then they can just not trade him. You know what I'm saying? So he got what he wanted. I just think there were certain moments that he was unprofessional about it. And it showed his me- lack of mental toughness to me. At the NBA level, I'm not saying he's not a mentally tough human being. You know, he had to have a. He definitely has. Anybody that makes the league again has to have mental toughness. You know, it's just how it is. But if you're talking about the Philadelphia 76ers now, this is by far Joel Embiid's best teammate. Glenn Rivers has two superstar caliber players. That Joel Embiid, uh, James Harden pick and pop is going to be filthy. Uh, pick and roll. I don't think Embiid's as much of a pick and roll big. I think he's just he's too big and just he's a little. He's it's not smooth. But let's see how he runs with it. I also think Harden. This is the first time in his career, besides playing with Dwight Howard, since he became the insane statistical god James Harden, pick and roll god James Harden. He needs to realize whose team this is, whose cities this is. This is the process. This is Embiid's team. You're gonna have to feed him the ball in the post and be okay with sitting outside of the three point line because he's allergic to moving without the ball. The Sixers have a great chance of of going to the finals now. They also, I think the expectation, if I'm a Sixers fan, conference finals or bust. At least conference finals. Then next season you have a chance to start from scratch with Harden and Embiid 
and have a full off season. Just like, a, but you never know. Harden could ask for a trade in the middle of next season, just like he did with the Nets. Because I said the same thing about the Nets last season. That guy, I want. I don't want to hear him in any top three shooting guard conversation ever again. For me, likely after this, if he never wins a ring, he'll never be in my top five. I don't care how talented he is. I just don't mess with him. Like I don't mess with him. I don't think that anybody would like to have him on your team because I think working with others. You know, I think that. You know, a lot of people, it's their basketball skill, their impact on the floor that matters. But I think that your relationship with other people does impact you on the floor. And I think working with others and how much I'd want to have you on my team as a player or GM matters as well in this stuff too. And I think that's where Harden is just... That's why I didn't want the Clippers to get him, man. I just wanted, I don't, I just want him away. I don't want him anywhere near my franchise. But if you're a Sixers fan, you got to be excited. That being said, you got to be excited because you're going from Ben Simmons who wasn't playing to now James Harden, one of the best offensive players in the, in the history of the league. Even though he's declining, him and Joel Embiid now, it's going to be filthy. It's going to be filthy. But you know what I think about the Sixers, guys. Glenn Rivers is going to find a way to screw it up. I don't think they're going to make it past the second round. You can bookmark it. You can screen record it. You can save this video. I don't think they're making it past the second round because Glenn Rivers is going to find a way to screw it up and Harden will find a way to screw it up as well. Embiid, I still have my doubts about him. He's never made it out of the second round. He burns out as series go and as the game goes on. And I know he was injured last year and had a great playoffs the last two years, but he didn't really have much to lose in that bubble series against the Celtics. He was clearly outmatched. And then this last past season in the fourth quarter of the game, you can go back to my recaps, he kind of burned out and settled for long jump shots. But those are the trades. The huge news, James Harden sucks. I like the Nets now, guys. I am back to being okay with them winning a ring. And it's all good in the hood. Now that's transferred to the Sixers, who I already didn't like, but now I really hate them because they're my least favorite player and my least favorite coach. Let's talk about the other moves that were made around the league. The Boston Celtics strengthening with a trade that sent Josh Richardson over to the Spurs for Derek White. I like Derek White's game. He can shoot the ball. He can hit the mid-ranges. He can hit floaters. Solid going to the rim. Solid ball handling isolation package. He's good in pick and roll. Can hit from all over the floor and that. You got to go over screens with him. I think the only thing with him is his consistency. I don't think he's that consistent probably. Because otherwise I think he'd be an 18 point a game scorer. And then I don't know what kind of defense he plays because I don't watch him every night. But I think it's definitely an upgrade for the Celtics, whose defense has been good. They need more spacers, more three-point shooters, and that's exactly what they got. They also bought out Dennis Schroeder or waived Dennis Schroeder, which is crazy because I just I, I picked him as sixth man of the year, and that take aged like milk. You know, he did not work out, and Dennis is really in the mud right now. But I honestly think the Clippers should look at him as a backup point guard, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Lakers after actually go after him and get him back to try to bolster their perimeter defense. But I think I would be really fine with him being an Eric Bledsoe replacement. It's another guy that can score off the bounce. So I would be fine with taking him up, but it's interesting that the Celtics traded him. The Celtics also brought back one of their own, and that was Daniel Tice returning to Boston. So the Celtics sent Dennis Schroeder, Bruno Fernando and Enos Cantor to the Rockets for Tice. Um, but the Rockets are going to waive uh, Cantor. So I'm sorry, they didn't buy out Schroeder. They traded him to the Rockets. So the Rockets, again, because of what James Harden did, because he not only asked out but said, I only want to be traded to the Nets. I think the Sixers were actually on board as well. But he got. I think he mainly wanted to be traded to the Nets. And they gave him, they sent him that way. I remember talking about James Harden for Ben Simmons last year, if I'm not mistaken, with the Rockets. I think we did talk about that, if I'm not mistaken. But, I mean, it is what it is. Daniel Tice, though, with Al Horford and Rob Williams, I don't exactly know where he fits. I think Al Horford starts, though, 
alongside the Time Lord. So having Daniel Tice's extra assurance will be fantastic, especially with Robert Williams. You know, he's not, not the guy that plays every single night. He misses a lot of games, more games than he should. I think the Celtics got better, and they're also on a roll. Another team that's on a roll is the Toronto Raptors, who got rid of Goran Dragic, who didn't want to play there. And Raptors fans that I've talked to on Twitter, and I just they don't like the guy. He's didn't want to play there. He, he said he had a higher ambition on some Andre Iguodala Grizzlies shit. So the Raptors acquired Thaddeus Young. He's going to be a backup big to come along with uh, Precious Achua off that bench. So I think that'll work out okay for the Raptors, who are flying, by the way. Pascal Siakam playing the best basketball of his career right now. Freddie Van Vliet in All-Star, which we'll see in a couple weeks in the All-Star game. They And Gary Trent Jr. had 42 points tonight. And they have an easy schedule to end the season. They've had two easy games in a row. It was Oklahoma City last night, Houston tonight, and they got the job done. They're winning games. I think they won eight games in a row. They're 31-23, and and Pascal Siakam had 30 points tonight on 13 of 19 shooting. Gary Trent with 42 points tonight, so they're flying. And then the last trade I want to talk about before we get into the Clippers actually involves both teams tonight. Chris Stapps Porzingis, I think that was the biggest trade in terms of shock factor to me today. I really thought that Harden would probably get moved, but I did not think that Chris Stapps Porzingis was going to be traded. The Dallas Mavericks got Chris Stapps Porzingis in 2019 before the 20 uh, in midway through the 2019 season, but he really started in 2019-20 as Luka Doncic's second star. And he has failed to reach those expectations. One thing I've noticed about KP, in the beginning of his career, I was thinking maybe he could be the next Dirk. He can, he's a 7'3 guy that can shoot. It seems as though exactly like what I talked about, and is the NBA getting better and better, exactly what Kobe Bryant said. He said, you got all these 7-footers or big men that can do all this fancy crap, but they don't know how to post. And Kristaps Porzingis is example prime A of that. He has a great jump shot. He shoots from 30. I've been to games and in my vlogs in the playoffs where he's shooting shots from 30. He has great ball handling. He's like a tall guard. But he can switch Reggie Jackson and Marcus Morris Sr. onto him and he doesn't know what to do. And that's a problem in the pick and roll when Luka gets switches. You have to have a big man that can punish you. Or else, if you're not amazing on defense, which Porzingis is solid. He's not as good as he was once with New York. It's not. A, it's just... He got injured in 2020, right? He gets injured very frequently. He's missed like 20 games this season. And he's just not the second star. You know he's not. I was thinking that they should keep him and get a second star and he'd go back to the third star. But his contract just isn't very good. I think that the problem is that the Mavs, they traded him today to the Washington Wizards. who It looks like they're going yard sale. They also traded Montrader to the Charlotte Hornets. And by the way, that man's been on four teams in three years now. But Montrader going to Charlotte, which is a really solid pickup, actually, because he's going to play in the playing game. And maybe I don't think the Charlotte Hornets are going to make the playoffs, but they'll be in the playing game again. And Montrader can really help. And the Wizards had Thomas Bryant, and they have Rui and Gafford. So bringing in Porzingis, honestly, is going to be interesting. It's going to be good. Do I think it'll do anything for them this season? No. They're going to finish right at 11th or 12th, the Wizards, especially with Beal out for the rest of the year. But it's interesting, you know, next season, are they going to have Beal and Porzingis? But anyway, the, the package going the other way was Spencer Dinwiddie and Davis Bertans. 
And Spencer Dinwiddie has not been the ideal fit. I talked about that when they played the Clippers. It's very clear he's not a fit for that team. He's not comfortable without the ball. He does not look good this season. He does not look 100% after that ACL injury. Or maybe that's who Spencer Dinwiddie is now. Doesn't have the same burst. Not making shots at the same frequency. He looked just not very confident when I watched him. His role is weird. Like He's starting for that team and he played well in the beginning of the season. But when Beal plays, he and... Those two don't really get along. And I heard that there's friction. There was friction in the locker room that Dinwiddie and Beal didn't get along. It does give the Mavericks another shot creator pick and roll guy besides Brunson. But that's the thing. That's all they've got because Hardaway's out for the season. So it's Luka, Brunson, and Hardaway, and, and Dinwiddie, Spence. Those are their shot creators. And there's no other shot creators. Can you win a playoff series like that? You know, it's going to give them a great chance in the offseason not to have Porzingis' contract gone to make a move to get Luka a second star. Maybe you see Bradley Beal coming that way. Maybe you see Bradley Beal coming to the Mavs. But then again, that's two stars that don't really guard like that. I think Luka's effort is, and I'll talk about it when I talk about the game tonight, is much better now. I think Kidd's done a good job with that. But you don't want to have two your best players being two guys that aren't good at defense. Do you know what I mean? You, I think you should have one that's pretty good at defense. And I don't know if Beal's that guy. But we'll see. We'll revisit that in the summer. The Mavs, though, I talked to a couple Mavs fans in the spaces today, and they were really confident in Jalen Brunson. They were saying that, you know, he's going to be the second guy. He's going to be able to go off in the playoffs and help Luka get out of that first round finally. And we'll see. We'll see. I think they probably should have gotten a bigger return than what they got. But it is what it is. The Chris Stapps Porzingis era in Dallas is over after two and a half seasons. He did not accomplish what he needed to. He's just another example of a big man who can't take advantage of mismatches. For the Clippers, before we get into the game tonight, Serge Ibaka, uh, fan favorite. It's tough to see Serge go. You know, I don't, I don't have too much emotional attachment towards him. He was only with us for a year and a half. He, came, we were, he was our marquee signing of the 2020 offseason after we got smacked in the bubble because we have, you know, we had to replace Montrader with a bat, with a big man, a backup big that could protect the rim and stretch the floor, which is what we got in Surge. He started out really solid last season and then he got injured and, you know, hurt his back and was out the whole season. We didn't get him in the playoffs. We got him back this season. He has not really looked 100%. He's not been great, but he has still had some good games. And I kept saying I didn't want to trade Surge because I like that he's the only pick-and-pop big that we have. But, you know, it looks like we're not going to have Kawhi and Paul for the rest of the season. It's tough because Isaiah Hartenstein has actually been better than Surge this year. And so we offloaded him. And we have $9 million in trade exemption now. What do we get for him? Rodney Hood and Semi Ojale. I think they'll be both be either waived or bought out. I actually like Rodney Hood, but I just don't think we need him. Uh, he wasn't really playing for Milwaukee. I don't think he's going to be playing for us. So it's tough to see Serge go. I think he's going to be fantastic for the Bucks, especially if Brooke Lopez doesn't come back. He's going to be a backup for Bobby Portis, and I think he, they could use him in the playoffs. But it is tough to see Serge go because it never really panned out. We never really got to see him in the playoffs, but we move. I'm not tripping. We got Norman Powell. By the way, shout out to my boy Kioi102. In the super chat, he said, let's go keep the grind dime, get the win for the NFC West Sunday, Lambs. That's Rams to you, buddy. But thanks, my my boy. So let's, without further ado, 23 minutes in, get into the one and only game we're talking about tonight. The playoff rematch of the first round last season, and the last two seasons, the Clippers and the Mavs. Uh, a pseudo rivalry in the NBA. They're, definitely the teams don't love each other, but I don't think it's a real rivalry because we're 2-0 against the Mavs in the playoffs, son. 
Tonight, though, we made an adjustment. Norman Powell in the starting lineup with Reggie Jackson, Nico, and Sr., Brewmaster to the bench. That gave us Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, Brewmaster, Isaiah Hardenstein off the bench, which is fantastic. It's deep. All good players. And and Rocco. So a nice 10-man rotation. The Mavericks, though. You know, we saw something tonight that we saw in the first two games of the playoffs last year. What's going to be your strategy guarding Luka Doncic in high pick and roll? And tonight we came out going switch. So you know what that means. Ivica Zubats on an island with Luka. And he was going step back central just like the playoffs last year. And he was scorching. And it wasn't just Zu. And Zu did a good job contesting like he always does. But again, it's Luka. You know what I'm saying? Zoo can't guard Luka. A lot of guys can't guard Luka. But 7-foot Zoo can't guard Luka. And I'm not blaming Ty because his, uh, it's a regular season game. He's, he's, you know, he's throwing it out there and he's saying, look, I'm going to be fine with Luka beating us. I'm going to limit the other guys because you don't really have other guys. If Luka keeps shooting, nobody else gets in rhythm. We'll be fine. We'll beat you as a squad. We'll, be, we'll beat you five versus one. Luka was hitting everything, though. <laughs> Literally everything. But I did like how in the beginning of the game, we were actually making Luka work a little bit on defense by going to the Marcus Morris Sr. matchup against him. You know, Luka against Sr. was the weak link uh, in the defense for them. With Reggie guarding Brunson, he cancels him out. I think he can get over screens and do fine. And Maxi Kleba is a really solid defender. But it was Sr. that scored eight points in the first quarter on Luka. And he was getting booed by the Mavs fans for obvious reasons. You know, that incident in the bubble where he, he not only instigated with Porzingis, he stepped on Luka. Uh, Mavs fans, you know, whether we whether it was accidental or purposeful, we're never going to know. Um, I'm not going to sit here and act like the Morris Twins are clean, squeaky clean, squeaky clean players. They definitely are old school, will hit you, and sometimes I, I, they may even try to hurt you sometimes. But, you know, you I, I back Marcus Morris Sr., you know what I'm saying? You're on our squad, I ride or die with you um, when you give us a good season. And Sr. did last season, and he came up big in the playoffs and was part of the curse breaker team. So I'll always have his back, regardless. Um, but they were booing him, right? And Luca was torching our ass. He was torching our ass in the first quarter. And we were staying in it, though, for the most part. You know, I thought that we were getting good shots. As I said, going to Marcus Morris Sr., you know, Nico Batum in a couple threes. And I thought that when Terrence Mann came in the game, I thought he had fantastic energy all night long. I thought he was our best our best player, in my opinion, tonight. He came out and shot a little fall away and missed. But he shot a three without hesitation on a pass from Terrence Mann in the first quarter. And then he got the ball and went all the way to the rim. And I liked how he was aggressive in transition as well. So I just really like what I saw from Terrence. But Luka Doncic having 28 points in the first quarter actually ended up being the difference in the game because they actually won that first quarter by eight points, 36 to 28. But the rest of the game, we only lost the, the second quarter by one point. We won the third quarter by one point. So between second quarter and third, we tied. And then we won the fourth quarter by a point. So it was really that first quarter where you just got to tip your cap to Luka. You know, as the half went on, though, we at one point we went drop coverage, and Zubat stepped up, and again, when, and this is a problem when, when guys, with, with people in this small ball NBA, one of the problems with drop coverage is when you have a guy, the big man is playing in between ball handler and the roller, and you have a guy like Luka where you need, if you're Zubats, you're going to need to step up because Reggie Jackson, whoever's guarding him, 
is going to be a little bit a step behind on the screen. If they're not good enough getting over screens and have length to disrupt him, you're going to have to step up for sure as the big man or else Luka's going to have a line drive. When Luke, when Zoo steps up, Luka's got the sense of my, presence of mind to throw that lob pass to Dwight Powell. And the problem is when you don't have traditional power forwards and your second tallest guy is Nico Batum, that rotation is not only coming from the deep corners, he needs to be making that rotation and go up in the air to deflect the pass from the, the Norman uh, from the Dwight Powell's, the lob threat. And that's what makes it hard, where back in the day, you have a power forward down there that may be dislodging him before he even goes up or able to get a hand on it easier. So that's what makes drop coverage really tough with a guy like Luka and a great passer and a lob threat with shooters all over the floor. So we, we quickly abandoned that and then started going blitz. And that started working a lot better. The only thing was we were down 36 to 50. We were getting a lot of good shots. Amir Coffey, he's been struggling with his shot lately after having such a great stretch of games. He only played 14 minutes tonight, and he was 0-5. He missed a floater, good look at it. Missed a couple threes that he also had good looks at. And then, you know, Kennard missed an open three in this stretch that I'm talking about where we just could not score. Hardenstein was 1-4. of four. He missed two or three of his little push shots that he usually makes. No issues. He only made one. And I know it's, it's annoying. That I'm, I didn't mean to nitpick Kennard because he finished 3-5 of five and 2-4 of four from deep. But one of them was just open. And, you know, sometimes with Luke Kennard, you just expect every three to go. But that stretch where we didn't score, it was 36-50. to 50. But I'll tell you guys when we got back in the game. When... Oh, I mean, we didn't fully get back in the game, but what we did was we started inching back closer when Luka was out, but when Luka came back in and we went through that drought, they extended the lead to 14 points, 50 to 36, you know, with Jalen Brunson as their only shot creator in the game. Norman Powell didn't score in the first half, and that, that hurt us. You know, he's our best scorer. He's our best player right now. So Marcus Morris Sr. And, and a little bit of Reggie Jackson were really the only ones that were scoring for us much in that first half. And Luca was torturing us. But when we went blitz, we did a lot better. We got a turnover on Luca at one point as well. There was just, he had seven turnovers, Luca. And one of them was in that when we blitzed him in the first half and got an interception, got on transition. And I'm pretty sure we scored off of it. But two times towards the end of the half, Nico Batum, when we blitzed, had a late rotation. Where he either where he got scored on it was one of them was an n one I believe to Maxi Kleba the other one was a layup to somebody else and we entered the half down nine uh, 59 to 50. Second half more of the same we came out and blitzed Luca more and he didn't score as much as the game went on but other guys were making shots like Dorian Finney Smith uh, he made two threes he was two of six from three but he made two big shots and he was five at ten Reggie Bullock. Same thing as Dorian Finney-Smith, two of six, but he still made two of them that, that I remember. And then Luca was obviously hot from deep, but even Frank Nilakina made a three at one point. So the Mavs, it just felt like they were making the right plays in the second half, and Norman Powell did start getting heating up. And I think when the, when the Clippers came back, it was later in that third quarter when the Mavs were over the limit. And I remember thinking to myself, are we going to put pressure on them and 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 the ref and put pressure on the Mavs and the refs? Are we going to make are we going to try to get to the line? And we actually did try to get to the line. Norengi Jackson tried to drive, somebody was hand checking, they called a foul, he went to the line. And again, that stops momentum for the Mavs. That gets us points, that gets us to rest, that gets us to set our defense up and that gets us to slowly gain momentum and start feeling ourselves as the score gets closer, defensive effort gets higher. Anybody that knows, you know, when you when you're playing you know, and you see that score getting closer, or it's game point, you already know how, how it is. You tighten up on D. And that's what happens with momentum. 
especially when you're taking your take taking a team out of you know when when a guy gets when a team gets a stop and they're coming up the court possibly with a mismatch uh, in transition or just with a little pep in their step off a miss. It's much different than taking it out and coming up off, off set defense. So we were getting to the line. Norman Powell was getting to the line. Nico Batum went to the basket twice and scored. So we were putting pressure on that Mavs defense, and we cut the lead down. It's especially what was what was huge about it was we cut the lead down when Luca was go, was in. So when Luca went out for his rest, we cut it down even more. And Terrence Mann, as I said, was a, a part of that. And Robert Covington even had a nice little floater uh, with nine minutes to go in the game. So we came close, you know, 94-90. But it just kind of slowly started spinning out of control. I thought that the refs, by the way, I wanted to make a point about them. I thought that they officiated a, a fairly physical game pretty well. I thought they actually did a pretty good job. I thought there was one or two calls that favored the Mavs that were a little interesting against Luka. I also thought that the there was one call in the first half where Norman Powell went to the basket and it was a clear blocking foul and he was clearly going up and they called it side out of bounds. It was an obvious two free throws and that made a difference in the game. Straight up made a difference in the game because the game was close at the end. And we one possession makes a difference. But Norman Powell did get injured in the second half. I think he twisted his ankle on the landing. And I really hope it's not serious because he's literally our best player. He just got here. We cannot have him be injured if we want to stay in these playing spots. With the addition of CJ McCollum, who made his debut today in New Orleans, I saw he made his first shot. Um, they did lose by 15 to a very good Miami team. But it's going to be interesting to watch CJ McCollum play for this team. Hopefully I'll watch them play so then I can give you guys uh, recaps of how they're doing because that's an interesting team now. But they're going to be on our tails. And the Lakers are probably going to be on our tails, even though they're playing like Dookie and they lost the Blazers last night. Oh my God, I even watched the game, but no Westbrook. So for all the, it's all Russ's fault crowd, yikes. And the Lakers are sitting on their hands today, man. They're going to have to, they made their bed, they made their bed, now they got to lay in it. But back to the Clippers before we ended out here. We were there, guys. We were there, but ultimately, Luka Doncic came back in and he made it happen. You know, he made it happen. It was a five-point game for a good amount of time. We had a couple chances to get it to one possession, and we did on a flagrant foul that Maxi Kleba had. You know, 94-97 with seven minutes left was the closest we got. But, you know, Reggie Bullock making the three to put him up by eight, 102-94 on the Luka pass was big. You know, we called a timeout after that, and we just couldn't really stop Luka. Luka kept getting to the foul line, and that's when... You know, I was saying it was hard to guard him without fouling, but credit to Luca, he got to the line, and we just couldn't really come back. You know, Marcus Morris Sr. hit a three late with a minute 15 to make it a five-point game, and Reggie Jackson missed a little push shot. You know, he had a good second half, Reggie, but he missed a little push shot late in the game, a shot that he always makes, like basically a layup right around the basket, and that was it. You know, we lost. We fouled Jalen Brunson, and that was it. So, Clippers lose. We're going to play against these guys again. Next game, 105-112 is the final from the American Airlines Center. The Mavericks move on to 33-23. Clippers to 27-30. Luka Doncic had a career high tonight. Oh, man. 51 points on 17 for 26 shooting. 7-14 from deep, which is insane. 10-14 from the line. 
and nobody on the team even had more than 11 points for the Mavs. So look, if Luka's going to shoot like that next game, <laughs> okay, you know, fair play to you. You'll shake his hand and walk away. But I don't think, I don't think he will. I don't think, I don't think he's going to shoot like that next game. Uh, I think he'll still be great. He'll still get his 30. Hopefully, we just win that one. And I hope Norman Powell's okay. By the way, I want to talk about the Mavs just a tad before we end it out. By the way, let me read the lines of the Clippers before I finish off with the Mavs. Nico Batum, I thought it was a solid game for him offensively. It was good to see him hit shots again. Needs to be a little bit sharper on defense, though, like we were used to seeing. 10 points for him tonight on 4 of 5 shooting and 2 of 3 from deep. Senior, a solid night, but he needs to rebound. That's one thing that killed us. I, I'm happy it reminded me. We got When we went to our small lineup in the second half, so Isaiah, part of the reason we made that comeback when we were getting fouls was because we went to a more switchable lineup with guys like Coffee, Terrence, uh, Senior, Nico, Rocco, you know, that type of lineup. And we held our own, but we got beaten up on the glass. We had four offensive rebounds to their eight, and Maxi Kleba, he had five of them. So... And a lot of times it was Marcus Morris Sr. that needed to rebound over him. So for Marcus Morris Sr. to have zero rebounds and him being our second, third tallest guy is not good enough. You know, we got beaten up on that offensive glass a couple times where we could have just gotten the ball back and, you know, again, kept the momentum flowing in our direction. And that kind of killed us with that small ball unit that we went to. But the small ball unit did help us get back in the game. So you got to pick your poison uh, with Luka. You know, when you don't have to switch everything personnel and... We had certain lineups that were switch everything personnel, but as I said, they give up that, especially when we don't have Kawhi and Paul, who did such a great job rebounding in small ball lineups in the playoffs last year. But the one thing I did notice about Luka and the Mavs' approach was they started out more possessions with Luka off the ball with Brunson. Luka's still not really cutting and moving inside the arc, creative movement inside the arc, but outside the arc, he's at least starting out on the wing, coming off, you know, coming off little curls or little flares to get him to get him a little running uh, head start a little bit in some space. And a couple times today, he, you know, he came up even dribble handoffs and got a lob to Dwight Powell. And different looks like that are going to be better. I always talked about Luka off the ball. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. I was talking more, you know, comparing him to other players. But I think Luka's best comparison is literally a European, non-athletic LeBron James. He's a, He makes very similar types of reads. He sees the game in the same kind of way. You know, he's not the biggest mid-range fan. He's more three-year all-the-way kind of guy. He's much more comfortable when he's going to his left when it comes to jump shooting and that step back because he brings the ball up kind of from the left side of his body. And going right, he'll almost never shoot stopping on a dime going right. He wants to go straight into you and use that shoulder. So that reminds me a lot of LeBron in many ways. But more so than Larry Bird, for sure. Um, and by the way, Luka's post game, uh, we saw uh, him in the post last year. You know, I think he has really solid post game now. He improved it after the first year where he didn't really have it as much. Or the second year, I'm sorry. Only in glimpses. But last year, we saw a lot more of it in the playoffs, taking advantage of our smaller defenders. And that was great. You know, a lot of it was was body and he's starting to get those turnarounds over both shoulders and he, he's really good at feeling out the defender and knowing when to spin which he got somebody on today I think it was a mere I think it was Norman Powell he got on that spin and it was he got an end one and that was nice as a as a fan of post moves and counters that was nice I had appreciation for that so Luca he's just very skilled he's so he sees the game in slow-mo you know what I'm saying the best players see the game slower than everybody else and he just counters everything at such a young age, younger than me. And another thing is the defensive effort for the Mavs. They were much more physical. And I noticed one thing they did was they were fouling us hard under the basket and taking their fouls. You know what I'm saying? I think part of the reason I say this a lot is why fouls are down in today's NBA is because 
teams just don't want to foul. Like people can do take fouls on fast breaks because they're not using up their fouls. They're not trying to guard. They're not making guys earn it at the line sometimes at the rim. You just let guys go. Sometimes there's no help, half-ass help. Like, no, sometimes they're so, they just want to go up vertical all the time. Sometimes you got to send a message. And I think that a couple times they hit Zubats hard tonight. And I thought that was a different approach. And that's actually, I think, more old school. I think that that early 2000s East Jason Kidd. So Jason Kidd's doing a great job. Uh, if he gets them out of the first round without Porzingis, you know, with a team that's less gaudy on paper in terms of names, more power to him. Uh, I don't think they will, depending on the matchup. I think, though, they could beat the Jazz. I still have my concerns about the Jazz and the three-point shooting Chuckfest ways and Luka being the best player in that series. But the Grizzlies, I don't know. If the, I don't think the Mavs can beat the Grizzlies. But they do have more playoff experience, so we'll see. That's it for me tonight, guys, though. Thanks so much for joining me. Super Chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar or a dime. Now we're going to go to the live subscribers. Wait, no so patiently in the chat. A very solid number tonight, 18 of you. Thanks for joining me. Good night. Go Clippers. We'll be back next game. And by the way, make sure to check out my latest video, uh, collaboration with my boy Fabian. What went, wrong, what went wrong with the Mellow Era Knicks, parts one and two. Part three coming soon. Super Bowl, we are three days away, Los Angeles. Three days. The, uh, I'm going to the Super Bowl experience on Saturday. Going to have a video for you there. Hopefully going to interview some Bengals fans and some Rams fans and just take it all in, guys. It's a special time to be a Los Angeles sports fan. It's a special time to be a Rams fan. And Angelino. I've been having visions about the celebrations on Sunday, visions about the parade. Oh, my God. We just can't lose. We just cannot lose. I'm going to be so down bad if we lose. We need this so bad. Thanks for joining me, and good night.